Okay, so uh, we've been we've been plugging through the book of Acts here, and uh, it, I've enjoyed the journey. I told you before that I haven't preached through a series in the book of Acts. I've preached on a lot of topics in the book of Acts, but uh, not done the, the series kind of thing. So I, I'm enjoying digging in and, and just kind of exploring. So uh, good good stuff. Now, next week, uh, you'll note in the bulletin that our district superintendent, Nate Howard, and his wife, Sharon, are going to be with us. So I want to encourage you to be here and reach out to maybe some folks that haven't been lately and try to nudge them to come in, just to make that connection with, with Nate. And uh, that that's the upside. The downside is he told me he didn't want to preach. He wanted to hear me preach. And so I said, well, thank you very much. Um, Everybody, every pastor loves to have the district superintendent come and listen to have have him listen to to him pre now have them listen have him listen. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, I got it. okay. And uh, so it has uh, it's, it's, it just be interesting. I've uh, I would much rather listen to him preach. But uh, but he asked for it, so I'm going to give it to him. And uh, well, I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to give it to him. I mean, uh, that's that's that sounds really strange itself. It seems like I'm going from bad to worse on this on this deal here today. So at any rate, uh, yeah, we'll get to the content here in just a minute, and then that'll, that'll every, the ship will right itself. So, <clears throat> but there are some really good stuff in this first chapter, and it's all. Uh, it's all preparation. It's all pieces that needed to come into alignment before you get into Acts chapter 2, and that's what we're going to get to next week. I, I think we should be able to finish through this particular portion of Scripture. So I'm going to back up a little bit in terms of a bit of review. Uh, we're talking about church alive as a general theme, and that's really what it was. You want to, you want to go to a church where there's life. It, it, it's, it, it isn't critical. Sometimes you think if I have a church of 500 or 300 or 100 or whatever, that, that you know, there's more, there's more, more volume, there's more noise, there's more intensity, kind of thing. It can be without question, and sometimes that it, it has a feeding kind of dynamic to it that encourages you. Um, but the important piece is that wherever it is that God has placed you, where He has parked you for now. Uh, that that it be a place of life, a life going on in you, spiritual life in you, that's that's being able to be shared with other people in process as well. So uh, you, you want to go to a place where the church is alive. You don't you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to go somewhere where it's dead. You want life there, and so you pray for life and you 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 seek life within your own spirit as well. Acts chapter one is uh, talking about a church that comes to life, and we'll get to that next week a little bit more. But all of the stuff that goes on in terms of these beginnings is preparation. So let me back up just a little bit. And so the first several slides are a review of what we've looked at before. We've, we've taken a closer look before at a couple things. We've talked about the work of the church in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And in that, we found the importance and priority of prayer. And that, and that the church was really founded not so much by an evangelistic campaign or a sermon that was preached. The church was founded in a prayer meeting. It was when the people of God gathered together in prayer. And that component that is such a key piece is important. It's As Spurgeon said, it's the slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. That's one way to describe it in terms of what, what God is going to be uh, doing in the midst of his of his work. So it's the look at the work of the church. It's also look at the groups that were at work. We looked at the apostles that were remaining there, uh, absent Judas, of course, Mary and the other women, and then the brothers of Jesus that are all referenced there in that first chapter. <clears throat> and that uh, they all have a part. Every, every component of that had a part. Uh, sometimes churches uh, have a lot of family connection. Uh, uh, I, I did an interim ministry in Lewistown, and Lewistown is a is a is an older church, and uh, uh, as the church grew, then there was this intermarriage stuff that occurred with with families, and so 
you had to be careful when you talk to somebody because, A, you might know they're related to somebody else. B, you probably don't know they are related to somebody else one way or another. And it was like a, like a, like a big family reunion every Sunday. Uh, and then newer families would come in, and they would just add to the mix and the fun of things. Uh, but but that, that can uh, and does occur. But each one of those people, each one of those family units, even after the marriages and all of that kind of stuff, has something to contribute. And that's an important part. You've got a part to contribute to the life of the church here. You're part of the group of the body of Christ. Now, last time we looked at it, this was before Father's Day last week. Uh, was it last week? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, I lose track of my schedule here. Um, we, we gave you initially a line out about the uh, one of the descriptions about prayer, and that was the characterization of prayer. And uh, so I want to come back and look at that. However, what I'm going to do is back up, uh, <clears throat> and I'm going to read uh, verses 12 to 26 from the Scripture. Uh, this finishes off the chapter, and uh, take a look at take a look at that. So listen, listen closely, or follow along as you as you may, uh, either with yours, uh, your scripture, uh, your Bible, or it may be projected. So then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying, and those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew. And Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, and the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. <clears throat> we'll come back to this next week, but verse 14 is a if there is a if there is a phrase that I would want you to get connected, it's there in verse 14 where it says. They all join together constantly in prayer. We'll talk about that in a few moments here. But that's a key piece in terms of whatever else happens in the book of Acts. That prayer component is key. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Isn't that, isn't that a wonderful word of description before you go to lunch? You know, it just, you know, anyway. But graphic, but it, it, was, it was the case. Everyone in Jerusalem, verse 19, heard about this, so they called the field in their language, Apodema, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place <clears throat> of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, I, I really should, uh, I, have, I have to back up and apologize. I can't say that this is not an interesting portion of Scripture, but it may not be very interesting to you. You could probably care less whether they filled a slot for somebody in some kind of church vote election. It, it may not be critical. And, and as I said before, this is the last you hear about Matthias anyway, so... You know, it's just information, but there are some things that are going on here that I think are important for us, even here at City Light Church, to make sure that we keep aware of in the whole process. <clears throat> I want to take a moment first and look at the characterization of prayer. When you think of prayer, <clears throat> there are all kinds of words. If I were to ask you for the words, 
Some, some of you might say prayer is work. Prayer is boring. Prayer is irrelevant. Some of you might say that. I hope there aren't a lot, but that kind of floats around up there. Uh, prayer is intense. Prayer is powerful. You can come up with a whole number of descriptive ways to characterize prayer. Um, but here is a verse that we pointed out before that talks about characterization of prayer. What, what does it look like? What was the nature of the prayer? So you back up to verse 14, and it says, They all join together constantly in prayer. That's, that's a whole sermon in itself. But let me just roll out three words that describe how this prayer is characterized. The prayer was, first of all, unanimous. There was a, there was a kind of unanimity in prayer. And I don't think that means they all prayed the same words, but, but they, they, were, they were one. There was this sense of unity where they moved together. Why is united prayer so important for, for anybody, for a local church, for a church in transition? Why is it so important? Uh, the answer is by praying together, we encourage one another to seek the Lord. It, it's moving us along in the same destination point. When one person gets weary, another through prayer can lift them up, and we can keep one another on that road to holiness, to know God and to meet him. And that's why I think it's important for the body of Christ to regularly meet together for prayer. Um, it, it's personal and it's practical. It's, it, it, it has a benefit. So, so a question, a valid question that could be asked of me or you would be, would be this. Do you have anyone or a group of people with whom you meet on a regular basis for prayer? That's just a question. If the answer is no, then you need to do something about it. You need to find a prayer partner. You need to find a prayer group because it's to encourage, it's to lift one another. You're missing out on a large part of what God wants to do in your, in your world. They tell me that when geese fly, the lead goose, lead goose, I guess that, it wouldn't be the lead geese, the lead goose, the guy who's out in front, well, when he, 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 he's the one that takes a lot of the wind, you know, so periodically they, they spell, they just, and I don't know, I don't know if they, maybe they develop a lottery system like we looked at here, I don't know, however they determine this process, but it'll drop back. And it'll, it'll fly within the protection for the wind resistance kind of thing. Someone else gets out and takes lead. So uh, sometimes that prayer point can be very helpful in that un unanimity because when you have someone praying with you and for you, there are times when you're going to come up and you're going to be, well, the country song would say, sometimes you're the windshield, sometimes you're the bug. Okay? Uh, there are times when sometimes you feel like the bug. And you need someone else who's, who's God is going to enable you, enable to be a windshield for you, to help you so that you can recover, so you can get new strength and you can get refocused and, and, and turn, tuned in to him. And so there's that un, unanimity or that unity in prayer. They all join together constantly in prayer. Armin Gesswein is an old-time uh, alliance guy, not always alliance, <clears throat> came to the Lord through a, in a Lutheran revival, well, I guess, if I recall that straight, but uh, a, a real heart for prayer. And, and so he would probably take this Spurgeon quote that uh, talks about, you know, uh, that, that slender nerve of God moving the arm of omnipotence. And he would say that, that really for the early church, the prayer piece, the prayer meeting was the important part. And so he has this wonderful little book called uh, In One Accord, In One Place, In One Accord, or With One Accord. And uh, it, it just retelling the stories and the priority and the importance of it. I'll bring a couple of copies of that next week when I come. 
uh, just a very helpful resource and just a quick, easy read, little, little read, but, but powerful and convicting. So their prayer was unanimous. Their prayer was harmonious as well. There's a second word that we use. And uh, I, uh, I dug out, as I've been looking through the book, I dug out an old commentary that I remember buying when I was in my first church in upstate New York, <clears throat> a town called Appalachian, which is up in the Binghamton area. And we were there for six years. And I remember buying this book. And the book was by a Presbyterian minister. His name was Lloyd John Ogle, Lloyd Ogilvy. Lloyd John Ogilvy. Hollywood Presbyterian Church, Hollywood, California. And uh, the book was called Drumbeat of Love. And as I was looking, and it's on, it's, I think it's a commentary on the book of Acts, but I found it and I thought, oh, let's see what he has to say. It's an interesting uh, comment that he makes. I guess I pulled it out as a quote. <clears throat> he says this, I've never known a contentious group to receive the Holy Spirit, nor have I ever seen a church in which division and disunity prevailed receive the blessing of the Holy Spirit. If we want power from the Holy Spirit as individuals, we need to do a relational inventory. Everyone forgiven? Any restitutions need to be done? Any need to communicate healing to anyone? As congregations, we cannot be empowered until we are one mind and one heart, until we love each other as Christ has loved us. And until we all heal broken relationships, the price seems high, but it's a bargain price for what can happen through Pentecostal power. Acts chapter 2 will talk about Pentecost coming and Pentecostal power. We'll get to that next week. But here, a key component, characterization of prayer, is not only unity, unanimous, but harmonious. Um, he, the, work, the word that uh, the writer Luke of, of the Gospel of Acts uses is a word that talks about and stresses the harmony of prayer. One thing that I enjoy when I come and sing here is uh, uh, you, you, can, you can fit harmony in, and <clears throat> you can hear harmony. Some churches, the band is so loud you can't hear anything. Well, it's actually the band, but you know, the, whatever, whatever the group you know, you got, you've got, you know, Jimmy Buffett on the. No, 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 I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, I, I digress. I digress. Anyway. Sometimes it can be so loud and distracted that you, have, you, can't, you can't hardly hear yourself sing. There's a nice balance. There's a nice spirit in, in, in the prayer, in the, in the music here, so that you can hear other people singing if you listen. And then there's this harmony that, that comes together. It's really nice. The King James translates this word, in one accord. That's the word that Luke uses. And it's a musical term that means to strike the same notes together. And we all know what it is to listen to a choir sing and what is lovely and lilting. And then, without warning, somebody hits a sour note and causes you, to, the hair suddenly comes to attention on your arm or your back goes up. You say, ooh, you know, that kind of non harmonic, huh? That was Mike. Okay. All right. <clears throat> All right. That discordant note sticks out like a sore thumb. I was going to illustrate this this way. <clears throat> Several weeks ago, we sang, in, uh, it was on a communion Sunday, and I, we sang this song. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And you sang that. And you sang that in wonderful harmony together. And I thought, I ought to have you sing that again. And then when we sing it the second time, I was going to go in with some kind of dissonant, dissonant note that would cause cringe and confusion and people would stop singing and they'll think, what in the world is this guy doing? And that kind of, the characterization of prayer here is there's a group of people who are in harmony together. When the early church prayed, there were no wrong notes. There were no ugly attitude notes. There were no pointing finger notes. There were no pity party notes. There were no gossipy story notes. 
There were no secrets told behind closed door notes. They were in harmony together. Characterization of prayer. Unity, unanimous, harmonious, and continuous. There's your third word. The word has the idea of a kind of obstinate determination. Now, I'll use my wife as an illustration, which is always dangerous to do. All right? So so here. Barb is... is, uh, intense on some things and pretty persistent when, when there's something that that uh, that she longs for you to discover and maybe in truth of God's word or something she'll, she'll just kind of keep at you and when we were in New Cumberland in our ministry there for a number of years uh, she developed a little bit of a of a nickname and the nickname was Bulldog. Yes. She is a bit of a bulldog on something. When she gets hold of something, it's like, you know, okay, that kind of deal. Now, it's a good bulldog. Okay? It's not a pit bull dog. You know, it's a good. But so, she this. so we have a little bit of fun with that, you know. And uh, so uh, it, 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 but the word that is used here that I've used the word continuous, is that there is this obstinate determination. If there can be a healthy part of prayer, it's an obstinate determination. It's not hard-headed. It's just persistent, determined. It means that when they prayed, they were dead serious about it, and nothing could stop them. You will find as we move through this book of Acts, there are any number of opportunities where the people of God still keep on praying, even after Pentecost comes. And they're found in prayer and right, and there's this, there's this obstinate determination. They weren't playing, they were praying. There's a world of difference between those two. And it made a difference. It makes all the difference in the world. <clears throat> so that's the characterization of prayer. Now, <clears throat> For the for a little bit, I don't know what time. Oh, I got all kinds of time. Oh, good, good. So here, um, I want to look at something in terms of uh, an aspect of church life that sometimes is is about is it's like like eating sawdust, you know, for some people, and it's the issue of church polity. There's I'll use the word. Um, so there we are. A polity of the church. What that literally means is it's the organization, it's the polis, it's the, it's the, it's the manner or the structure in which a group is organized. Um, in some churches, it can be a, a congregational form of government. Sometimes it can be a representative form of government. There can be a variety of ways in which churches set it up. Sometimes it's a hierarchical form where you have someone who's at the very top of the food chain calling all the shots and everybody just toes under in the process. The polity, the poly, church polity is not a bad thing. It can become a can become a bad thing. It can become a very political thing. We, 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 our word politics will come not far from this word polis. But it can become simply a model, a model how you do church, and uh, each each group will have a different. Even within the alliance, there's there's some latitude in terms of how the structures occur and how uh, things are to be operated. We used to be, as a denomination, a lot more uh, polity organized in terms of this is what you did. For instance, you had if you had alliance women, there was some discussion at general council this year. Uh, they, several years ago, had changed the name of the women's ministry to Great Commission Women, which I thought, well, that was interesting, but that doesn't have anything alliance necessarily. It could be Baptist. Could be Presbyterian, could be Whiskey Palian. I don't know. You know, but pick your take your pick. But it could have been. But so they changed it back to Alliance Women. I thought, well, that's good. That's good. Okay. It used to be there was an organizational structure that said if you're going to have an Alliance group, this is what it should look like. It needs to have this, this, this. It needs to have a president, a vice president, and a secretary and a treasurer, and it needs to be organized in terms of these other groups and these other committees. And there used to be a lot of top-down legislation of how you run an alliance women's group. If you're looking in current 
polity in the alliance. You won't find a lot of that stuff. Same way with youth groups. They used to have, you know, you had to have a president and, 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 a, and you know, just organizational structure. They just kind of let the local church figure out the way in which that ministry is to be conducted nowadays. <clears throat> and I think that's good. That's healthy. There are certainly guidelines. There certainly are helps available. But it's the polity of the church. So here in the early church is dealing with an issue of how do we handle this vacancy. Peter raises the issue, and he calls this congregational meeting together, in essence, and says, you know, here's an, here's an issue. It deals with the, with, the, with the abandonment by Judas of the group of disciples, and then what he did. So I want to take a look for a couple of moments at, at what their polity was. There are, there are a couple things about it. First of all, and I think these are in the, this is the important part, it was tethered to the word of God. Uh, have you ever played tetherball? Have you ever heard of tetherball? Do you know what tetherball is? It's the pole, and then they have a rope with a ball on the end, and you whack the ball, and you try to get it around, to wrap it around the pole, and you play one person against another person. Okay, so you go. And, uh, uh, but that ball never gets away, unless you're really smacking hard, and something breaks, you know, you've had those things happen. But it's always tethered to that, to that pole. It's not going to get any further. It's not going to get any longer, any further away from that pole than that ball is there at, at, at its high, longest length. It's going to get shorter, but it, it, it's anchored on. <clears throat> Their church polity is anchored on to the word of God. Verses 15 to 22. And there are a number of things that come out from that portion of Scripture that we read. These words reveal... Uh, two convictions that Peter had about the Word of God. First of all, that the Word of God was true. Word of God speak, will you fall down like rain and come over me? It, you, you let the Word of God speak to us. That's one thing. The second thing is the Word of God speaks to the situation. It's one thing to believe that the Bible is true. But it's another thing to say the Bible is true for me. And, it, and, and there's got to be that personal side. And, that's, and Peter is very confident that that tethering of whatever we do to the word of God is important. Now, there's latitude with how you do it. And there's interest in this particular portion of Scripture, how it all worked out. But Peter actually believed that hundreds of years earlier, David had prophesied in the Psalms about the betrayal of Judas. He also believed that by studying the scripture, the early church could find out what God had to say about their particular situation. It is God's word that is true for them. And so it's a very high view of what we call biblical inspiration. This is God's word. It is truth, but it is truth for me as well. <clears throat> and so you have dealing with two things. First is the Judas piece. What do we do about the absence of Judas, verses 15 to 20. And the Bible would indicate to us that nothing ever catches God by surprise. Ever been surprised by something? Somebody does something very uncharacteristic or out of, out of the usual, and we say, wow, I wouldn't have expected that from you. That surprised me. I don't think, uh, do, do you ever get a picture that God is saying, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen at City Light Church? Well, who would have seen that coming? If we believe that God is omniscient, all-knowing, nothing takes him by surprise. And Peter believed that there was nothing that would take God by surprise because he's God. He knows about every event in history before it takes place. He knew all about Judas before the traitor was ever born. Consider what that means. Here, here are a few things. Chew on this for a minute. <clears throat> you don't find this in the notes. You're going to listen or listen to the, the recording later online. He knew that every one of, of the disciples would betray, not everyone, he knew that one of the disciples would betray the Lord. He knew that Judas, Judas was a thief at heart. He knew that Judas would go to the chief priest with a wicked offer. He knew that Judas would settle for 30 pieces of silver. Scripture will bear that out. He knew that Judas would offer a shameful kiss on the cheek. He knew that Judas would try to give the money back. He knew that Judas would commit suicide. He knew that Judas would end up in hell. 
Now, some people wrestle with how, how in the world could God have included in this group of 12 men, one, wouldn't, wouldn't Jesus, Jesus, in selecting them, come to Judas and say, yeah, I'm going to take a ring check and jump over that guy? Because as God knew from beginning to the end, there were going to be some issues. Most importantly, God knew his betrayal would result in the death of his son. He knew all that, and yet he didn't do anything to stop it. He could have stopped it, but he didn't because God had a higher purpose in mind, one that made no sense to anybody else, one that left us scratching heads, but God still had purpose in mind. And and I, I guess I would have to say I find great comfort in that because we all face situations in life that don't make any sense. At times, things pop up. We say, God, why? Where are you? Uh, when God interrupts was a message that I preached a while back now. There are interruptions that come in our world. In those moments of grief or heartache or heartbreak or defeat or despair or ruin, we may be tempted to think or to say, God doesn't know about it. He really doesn't know what's going on. That's our temptation. But we're wrong. You see, God does know, and he's allowed it to happen for reasons that make sense to him, but perhaps to no one else. So certainly, we could have picked someone better than Judas, and we wouldn't have to deal with all this, but if that had been done, then he would not have been betrayed. Then the sequence of events that happened out in terms of the trial and the crucifixion not have occurred, and the result in terms of resurrection would not have occurred. And so even in the midst of those things that may somewhat take us by surprise, it was no surprise to God. That's dealing with the Judas piece. And then, then there's this successor piece, the selection of a person to follow in process. <clears throat> Psalm 119 and verse 18 says this, Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things from your law. And because the Bible is the word of God, we'll never understand it properly without the aid of the spirit of God. Now that, that event has not happened yet to the church. We know about it in hindsight. But the aid of the Spirit of God, when this, we need the Spirit's help to open our eyes to see what God is saying to us in his word. Peter's language was this. The scripture had to be fulfilled. It had to be fulfilled. And that means that whatever God says will eventually come to pass. But how do we know that? How do we know that? Because God's, God will never contradict his word. His word is forever settled in heaven. He won't, condi- won't contradict it. It stands forever. Isaiah 48 puts it that way. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never pass away. So we've looked at, we're looking at the polity of the church, and it was first of all tethered to the word of God. It, 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 it's anchored there, and, and how that all process works out is interesting. But there's also this other piece. There's this successor piece. And even that is orchestrated by God. So it's tethered to the word of God. But there's another descriptor here, and that is that this process was covered in prayer. You just can't get away from this gang of people praying. Verses 24 to 26 puts it this way. Then they prayed. Then they prayed. Then they prayed. They just people were at prayer. The church realized the importance and priority of prayer. Prayed over the process. Now, uh, th- this part, um, you're going to have to figure out what to do with this. Um, because this is a portion of Scripture where something is introduced. It's not new, but it's something uh, that's intriguing. Okay? And I, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Lottery. When you think of lottery... 
you see dollar signs and you think, maybe, just maybe, if I buy a ticket, I'll win $680 bazillion and I can help do a lot of good for people. And so that, that gets, we talk about lottery fever. So let me, let me back up. And I'm not here to endorse mega whatever or Pennsylvania million something or others or whatever they are. Um, but let me, let me give you a little bit of Oxford English dictionary background to it, okay, just for fun. Uh, dictionaries talk about its origin as Middle English or Middle Dutch, and they say that the first use of the word lottery in English comes from about the year 1550. That's in English. <clears throat> if you trace it back far enough, however, you discover that lottery comes from the ancient practice of casting lots, which goes all the way back to the Old Testament. A lottery refers to the act of making a choice based on the outcome of a random event. Now, you should know that you're better off not wasting your money trying to buy a lottery ticket because the chances of you winning are, are so astronomical that, it, that, you know, you'd be better out, better going outside in the middle of a thunderstorm holding up an umbrella with a metal tip on the end and standing near a tree. You, 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 the chances are, are better for you to get hit by lightning than they are to strike it rich in terms of a lottery. But people just, you know, they just, just kind of uh, want to try to do something. But it's a random event. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, we find in the Old Testament that lots were often used to make important decisions. Now, that process was always surrendered to the direction of God. And, and uh, <laughs> so, but we'll get there. Hang on. Um, in, in the Old Testament, there were important decisions that were made. There was the apportioning of the land among the 12 tribes in Joshua 14 by lot. There was a choosing of temple servants, servants during the days of the kings in 1 Chronicles 24. One of the most significant lotteries that took place was on the Day of Atonement. When in Leviticus 16, it says the high priest would choose two goats one would be sacrificed as a sin offering, the other would be released into the wilderness as a scapegoat. That was by lot. Now, uh, I don't know, it seemed like both of them might, well, uh, one, would, one would be sacrificed as an honored, honored gift, and the other is a scapegoat and wandered off. We even, even use that word scapegoat these days. The high priest cast lots in order to determine which goat was sacrificed and which one was released. It was all part of a kind of lottery system. Now, no one knows how that worked. They, they, they thought that perhaps the, the, the garments of the high priest had, had jeweled stones on it, and the stones that they called the Urim and the Thummim, and, and that somehow God gave direction through those that process, Exodus 28. It, it might have been, they might have put colored stones in a jar, Place the jar, shake the jar, stones come out, and it's either a yes or a no. Now, I, I don't want, I'm, I'm not convinced that lottery is necessarily the best way to do things, but it is a way, and it was a way that was used in the scripture. <clears throat> the New Testament contains two cases of casting lots. First is the soldiers around the foot of the cross, if you recall. They cast lots for yeah, the garments that Jesus had in Matthew 27. The second instance of the lots, and the last one in the New Testament, is this one in Acts chapter 1. And it takes place during that 10-day period between the Ascension and the day of Pentecost. Now, in this portion of Scripture, it's interesting, there are three firsts here. First, it's the first church business meeting. And ever since then, people have been just jump, jumping up and down, excited for business meetings. <clears throat> well, yeah, kind of like a root canal for some churches anyway. So the church business meeting. The second first is that this is the first recorded prayer, public prayer in the book of Acts. And they pray, and, and, and they pray in the language of it, Lord, verse 24, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen 
to take over this apostle, apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. End of quote. It's the first public prayer. And it was short. Unlike some public prayers, it could be long, you know, so it was short. And this was also the first election of church leaders. So there are a variety of firsts in this whole business kind of thing in terms of this process as it was covered in prayer. Uh, in those six verses, we find a speech, a nomination, a prayer, an election, and an installation all occur. Just kind of one thing right after from the passage. Here are the things that I want you to have as takeaways in process. If if this whole concept of the polity of the church is, is just kind of like, you know, okay, I guess they had to do something to fix the issue or find a placement. Here are the things that I want City Light Church to remember in process. First, and it comes from the language of the prayer. <clears throat> the first important thing to keep in mind when there are tough decisions that need to be made for you and for me, personally or corporately, is first, acknowledge the omniscience of God. Here's the language of the prayer. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Now, you can be here today and uh, no one else may know your heart, but God knows your heart. He knows whether you want to be here or whether you'd be out doing something else. He knows whether you're thinking about lunch already or if you're paying attention to the preaching. Uh, there is no way, don't take God by surprise. Acknowledge the omniscience of God. For City Light Church, you're in this transitional season. Events occurred that resulted in somebody getting off the horse and somebody else getting on on a temporary basis. And it might be important for us to remember, important for you to remember, that God knows the beginning from the end. Acknowledge the omniscience of God. Nothing takes him by surprise. You may not like the surprise you got, but God can still capture your heart and attention in the process. And I, find, I found it the case that, that almost in, in many of those times when there's this sense of, <gasps> there's also this sense of desperation before God where we can practice the principles of Acts 1 in terms of, place of prayer and the priority of prayer in process. Acknowledge the omniscience of God. Second thing, seek direction from him. Here's the language of the prayer. Lord, show us. Show us. It's not telling God, God, here's what I think ought to happen. Maybe you're a fixer. Maybe, maybe you're the kind of person that says, well, we need to do this, this, and this. And you have it all lined up within 15 minutes. And that's your gift of the church. You got all the problems solved, just like that. But I think I think there's reason to be methodical in process so that we don't divorce consequence from action. Maybe there are some things that you need to learn as a congregation in this whole process that will be learned no other way than just seeking direction from God. I don't know who the next guy is that's going to come in. You don't know either. That's why we need to seek direction from him in that whole process. Show us. Show us. And then the final thing was that they yielded the results to God. The language of it is they cast lots. And regardless of the lottery, all oh, this whole process, how it was determined, all that kind of thing, it resulted in an outcome in the process. And the outcome is simply this, that Matthias was added to the body. And it, it, it fulfilled the intent of the scripture uh, in terms of filling up that 11, added to the 11 apostles to make 12. And I, I, there's probably a symbolism there in terms of 12, 12 tribes of Israel. That's kind of, it's kind of a complete gang, a complete group, complete body. And that's probably the reason why they felt that. Peter sensed that. They needed to have that 12 to just make it a complete group again so it was whole, <clears throat> even though we don't hear much about some of many of the other uh, apostles or disciples, there were a criterion had to be a had to be an eyewitness of resurrection and a variety of things that had to occur there in terms of criteria that was held. But Matthias was Adam, and they accepted the outcome. 
Now, this first chapter, let me this first chapter has a lot of amazing stuff in it. Amazing experiences. There are promises from Christ that he gives in the first chapter. There's a call to hurry up and wait. Don't don't run out and fix it. Wait, wait until you receive the gift that I have for you. There's a, a mission to embrace. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. Draw the circles we talked about in the last several weeks. There's an ascension that is intended to give hope to the people. This same Jesus that you see being taken up or going up from you, he's going to return again, and that's hope. And that's a promise that comes from God. And then there's a, a new replacement, a new recruit to come in and be part of that 12. And all of those things occur in the first chapter. But when you get to the end of the first chapter, you say, now what? We've done all these things. These things have happened. What do we, what do we got? We have a good group of people who are doing good things. They're doing the right things, praying together. They're encouraging one another. All those kinds of things are all in place. But there's something else that they need. And that is what we're going to talk about next week. So we have these dry bones, uh, to use the Ezekiel image, a valley of dry bones. And I don't think the church probably viewed themselves as dry bones. They, they probably thought, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. God's made a promise. Jesus made a promise to us. And, and, and here's the direction. Here's the marching order. Here's the strategy. Here's how we're going to be moving forward. And I think they were probably all ready, all ready to just kind of tip their cap forward and say, okay, world, here we come. I think they were probably ready to do that. But Jesus knows that they needed something else. And it was not something. It was someone and that's where we go to Acts chapter 2 next week. So tune in next week to see how the bones come to life, and we'll go from there. Now, I know this is a terrible way to end a sermon. You know, just, it's like the, it's like the, it's like the tease at the end. If you want to see what happens in the excitement, come next week. So but I just invite you to be here because I can't wait to see what happens. Um, and there's some really interesting stuff in Acts chapter 2 that happens. You're going to, I mean, I mean, if it happened in church today, what happened in Acts chapter 2, you, people would be saying, holy smoke. You know, they'd probably wonder, or holy fire, I guess they'd probably say, if you know how the story goes. But they'd say, whoa, look at that, look at that, look at that. They'd probably just freaking out with things. So let's see how, how that all works next week. I just invite you to just be part of that time. We've started. The first chapter is now complete and only took us X number of weeks to get through it. Uh, but uh, but there's, there's good stuff, and particularly even in the polity of things, acknowledging the, the omniscience of God and seeking his direction and yielding the results to him are key pieces for us in process. So um, I want to close in prayer. But I don't know where, what all is a part of what you bring to the body today. It may have been a good week. may have been a week where you're feeling like, oh, God, what's that about? What are you going to do? Here's the need. You... So uh, I would simply remind you this. Be encouraged that God knows where you're at, and he knows the things that you're carrying, and he wants you to roll those over upon him. The scriptures say, cast your burden, literally means roll it on over upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. So whatever it is that maybe you brought something with you today, and you just long for the Spirit of God to be able to just kind of speak his word to you. Maybe he's already spoken a word of encouragement to you from this word, but let him, let him whisper to your heart today everything that you need. So let me just pray over you as we just kind of bring the service to its close here. So,
Heavenly Father, um, certainly when this group of people gathered together, they had a lot of amazing things that happened. There were appearances of, of Jesus to them with words of hope and encouragement. And there, was, there was an experience of seeing him taken up, a kind of a levitation just right up, right up, up to heaven. An amazing word from angelic beings saying, don't just stand here looking up into the air. This same Jesus is coming back. He's coming again and, and take hope. But remember you have a task. Remember you have a mission. City Light has a mission. City Light needs hope and help. And they need to be captured by a passion for prayer to enable that work of God to be that very thing, a work of God, not their own work, not their own figuring out, not their own best plan. So I pray for each one here today, wherever they're at, in the journey with you. Maybe there are some detours they've run into this week, and they say, God, I don't how, how did I miss that? How, how do I, where do I go? What, what do I do? Give them wisdom because they say, help us, teach us, show us, and minister to each one at their point of need today. Thank you for your, your determination to do a work among this body. You long for them to be drawn closer to you in this interim time. You long for them to discover the reality of Christ so that the church can come to life and, and, and be characterized by life. I pray that you will grant that to each one as you know their need. So thank you for the day. Thank you for the opportunity this morning. We pray that as we have entered to worship and now as we exit to serve, to be salt and light, that you'll go before us for the greater glory of God. In the name of Christ we pray. All God's people say amen, amen and amen. Go in his grace. Be sure you greet one another as you go.